And good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, so uh, I this is class number 174, session 174 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. And tonight we are talking about the beginning of the end of the Council of Elrond. Now, it's only the beginning of the end, so we still have some time yet to go. Let's not get too rushed. I only mean we're coming to the beginning of the final stretch in which they actually decide to decide something, right? They actually get to the decision point. Um, so, um, uh, so that uh, that's... Uh, but still, it's still a really, really important transition. Uh, and I... Uh, I quite enjoy how Treebeard, um, uh, or Treebeard, I'm thinking about Treebeard because of uh, uh, Cook of Wooten Minor was just talking about Entmoot. Um, I really like how Elrond handles the transition, as we're, as, as, as we'll see. But um, uh, before we start, one uh, announcement just to, uh, I believe I mentioned it last week, and I want to mention it again. Mythmoot is coming up and registration is open. So it is complete. If uh, last time I was hinting, I've been hinting, I've begun hinting. Now it is totally official. Uh, Mythmoot is happening. Uh, the 24th to the 27th of June this year is going to be Mythmoot 8. The theme is the world ahead. Uh, we're thinking about the world to come and how the world to come, you know, sort of, deal, you know, thinking about and projecting towards a future world uh, is, uh, is, is dealt with in, in uh, you know, in literature and lots of other uh, fun ways, of course, in which this is relevant these days. Um, we wanted to uh, be looking towards the future with hope for some reason here in 2021. So um, uh, so that's what our theme is. We've got some awesome speakers coming. Dr. Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, uh, who is the author of The Dark Fantastic, really interesting book. And Carl Hostetter, of course, who is the editor of The Nature of Middle-Earth, the big new Tolkien book that's coming out in June. Uh, so you can get to meet and talk to uh, uh, Dr. Hostetter like right within, uh, you know, weeks of the release of the book. Um, and Brenton Dickinson, uh, one of our Signum faculty members, wonderful C.S. Lewis scholar, and he's, uh, uh, he's going to uh, come give a talk. I'm really excited about that. So anyway, so Dr. Dickinson uh, joins our uh, esteemed panel of guests. I'm really excited about these, um, uh, about these guests. So these are going to be our primary speakers. Uh, we have our Mythmoot store is open for folks who want to uh, pre-order T-shirts and mugs and notebooks and stuff like that. Got some really fun uh, design options there. Um, and uh, if you are thinking about, which I strongly recommend, uh, thinking about presenting something at Mythmoot, uh, you can definitely do that. The information for that is down here beneath, you know, as we continue on down here. Here's the email address to uh, submit proposals to and some outlines for proposals uh, and uh, registration link down here. So let me explain about registration and how that's going to work um, right now. So we're, we're definitely planning to do the same thing we did last year as far as the digital options. So we have the two registration options. We have Mootcast and we have Moot Hub. Mootcast uh, is the sort of asynchronous option. With a, with a Mootcast registration, you get to access any, all, any and all of the talks, uh, and you can do that in real time uh, if you choose to. Um, 
but of course you also get access to the archived recording after the fact if you miss them um, which is really because you can't get them otherwise we can't distribute them after the after the moot um, so if you want to be able to a- access those after the fact uh, mootcast is what you should do so mootcast is best if you can't you know, if you don't have the opportunity really to like commit the time between June 24th to 27th to really kind of join us in person and be part of the of sort of the live crowd uh, for the conference, uh, Mootcast presents a really attractive sort of combination synchronous asynchronous uh, option. You can get them asynchronously. You can drop in if you you know want to. You know, if you can make time to drop in for one or two talks or whatever. Um, but then. The Moot Hub option is the really the in-depth synchronous one. This is the one which not only has all the stuff that Mootcast has and access to the archives and everything, but also access to all of the uh, of our you know extra events and social hangouts and and uh, uh, our you know Slack channels to be you know discussing back and forth and making comments and passing notes through the talks and uh, Mood Hub was so much fun last year I really really enjoyed that so that's what we're that those are the two registrations that we have open right now Mootcast and Mood Hub now to answer your question Lady Lakata is Myth Moot virtual this year. Definitely, yes, but we are not yet ready to give up on the possibility of actually having an in-person thing. It might still happen. We're waiting on that. So here's what we're doing. Um, We're going to make a final determination as to whether or not we're going to attempt any kind of in-person gathering um, in June. Uh, We're going to make that determination at the end of March. So, um, but one way or another... Even if we do have an in-person component of the conference, we're still going to do Mootcast and MootHub um, as we are planning to do. So that's going to happen no matter what. Um, it's just a question of whether or not we would be able, on top of that, to have some kind of in-person thing. If we do decide to do an in-person thing, then there will be, uh, we'll reach out to the Moot Hub folks and to see if they want to upgrade. Um, we're, I'm sort of assuming that if you're just signing up for Mootcast, that means you can't really be there, so you're unlikely to be there in person either. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, we'll d- definitely for Moot Hub people, we will have an option to upgrade. Um, I think for, in our registration, we ask the question, you know, if we were able to do this, would you be interested in that? Just and that'll if you could fill that out, that would really, really help us to begin to kind of assess. Um, that, that'll certainly be a factor, obviously, in whether or not we can go ahead and do that. Um, uh, so anyway, we're going to be. Um, uh, uh, I'm one way or another. It's going to be a lot of fun. As I say, I'm not. Uh, I'm not ready to. Uh, uh, give up hope uh, on any kind of in-person gathering, but we'll see what happens. Um, so, uh, uh, but as I say, the determination will happen March. But go ahead. There's uh, there's no reason not to uh, uh, sign up now because again, we'll be able to do you know uh, an easy upgrade later on uh, if we do that. So. Anyway, so as I said, the registration link, you can click the registration link right here, and that takes you to the registration page, and you go off from there. So then you can also register for path classes if you want. Same place. So cool. Anyway, uh, so that's how it works. Really excited to have MythMoot open. Uh, the MythMoot anticipation season is coming now that we, we did TexMoot uh, with our poor frozen Texas friends <laughs> last weekend. Uh, and... Um, 
Uh, I, I mean, I shouldn't laugh. I know it's, it's seriously cold down there. It's seriously cold. It's just, um, um, it was ironic that we were having Tex Moot uh, in like the middle of that like freezing, freezing cold weekend. Um, especially ironic because, of course, very often, um, you know, very often, uh, you know, usually I'm down in Texas and and uh, quite enjoying a nice break from uh, winter weather. Um, but anyway, yes, Bjorn Sonar, it was a lot of fun. So good to meet you, Bjorn. Bjorna Sonar, at least virtually, um, uh, at Texmoot, get to uh, put a uh, put a face with a name. That was a lot of fun. Um, so um, uh, anyway, um, yeah, you know, uh, JJ says between moots and virtual classes, sounds like Signum needs to get some cutting edge research into augmented reality. Hey, sure, yeah, no, I, you know, this is uh, uh, something I would definitely think about. Um, but um, anyway, so. Um, Definitely wanted to draw people's attention to this. I think everybody who went to Mythmoot Seven last year would tell you that it was it was really a highlight experience. I mean, I, I would say it was one of my highlights of the entire 2020 year. If that didn't sound like damning it with faint praise, but it really was. It was a, it was it was a wonderful time. Um, so I hope people will uh, uh, consider registering for Mythmoot and joining us this year. Uh, it is gonna be awesome. So. That is my announcement. It's a pretty big announcement, but uh, uh, it's a pretty big announcement. You can, uh, you can find us at signumuniversity.org slash mythmoot. Just go to signumuniversity.org uh, homepage and scroll down a little bit. You'll see the link to uh, mythmoot registration as well. Um, so, yeah, Katriana, it was great to have you at Mythmoot 7. That was a lot of fun. Okay, so let us get back into the text because I have a confession to make. And my confession is... I skipped something. I did. I just wantonly skipped something and I felt bad about it almost immediately. Uh, almost immediately. Like later that same night. Of course, I wasn't. I had to cancel class last week. I had to go out of town actually uh, with my son. Um, so I wasn't able to do class. But, um, but the week before last, almost as soon as I was done with class, I was like, I can't believe. Like there's like half a paragraph. I almost forgot to talk about. So yeah, I got to go back. I got to go back to uh, Gandalf's <laughs> again. <laughs> so, okay, just 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 a touch though. In the second paragraph of his description, we're not going to we we I we got I got so tied up in thinking about why Gandalf went to the Etten Moors in the first place, right? That I like totally <laughs> no, we're not going back to Weathertop, Nancy. Don't worry. Uh um <laughs> anyway, I got so I got so focused, which was a wonderful discussion, and you guys helped me understand that so much better, um, that I totally missed the sentence after that. For I could not ride among the hills of the rock of the Trollfells, and Shadowfax departed. I sent him back to his master, but a great friendship has grown between us, and if I have need, he will come at my call. That's the sentence I missed. We totally skipped that line. Um, so, and to me, the most interesting thing about that line is the word master, actually, right? Um, and this strikes me as a really interesting gesture on Gandalf's part, right? Um, Gandalf is aware, I and mean, we talked about this a little bit at the time when he talked about choosing shadow facts in the first place, right? You know, Gandalf is apparently aware of the fact that he 
you know, kind of did Theoden dirty a little bit, right? Not exactly dirty. That's not quite fair. But, um, you know, that uh, he really kind of exceeded the spirit of, uh, of the gift that he was given when, uh, uh, when Theoden told him to choose any horse uh, that he would and be gone, um, you know, forgetting explicitly to exclude, you know, the chieftain of the Mayaris whom only the king may ride, um, kind of taking it for granted that that one didn't count, right? And obviously you're not going to choose that one. Um, but, uh, and of course Gandalf did, and we talked about that at the time, um, you know, back when Gandalf talked about the choice. His referring to Theoden... Um, I presume it doesn't say by name, but I presume it is Theoden he's referring to there. Um, uh, by sending him back to Theoden, he and calling him Theoden, Shadowfax's master, he seems to be acknowledging the fact that it wouldn't really be right, I think, for him to uh, really claim Shadowfax as his own, right? You know that that it was it was um, uh, exceeding as I say, the spirit of the gift there. Um, <laughs> yeah, JJ, that's exactly it. All the same, he had an uncomfortable feeling that the picking and choosing had not really been meant to include this marvelous horse and that trouble would yet come of it. Exactly, exactly. That's a fun parallel, JJ. I hadn't been thinking of that. Of course, uh, obviously the quote about Bilbo's choosing the Arkenstone. Uh, or picking up the Arkenstone and hiding it in his pocket and justifying it by saying he would choose it as his 14th share. Um, but um, uh, anyway, yeah. So um, I think that this is, at the very least, a sort of show of honesty on Gandalf's part, right? That that it was, it was only a loan of the horse. And normally, you know, when you... <laughs> When you borrow a horse and take him on a one-way journey across the continent, like, you know, and then being like, okay, head home, boy, you know, off you go. Like, that wouldn't really seem to be setting the record straight. But, of course, with um, with Shadowfax, it's fine, right? I mean, there's there doesn't really, there's not really any question. I don't think there's any hint of an indication that anyone, least of all Gandalf, is worried that Shadowfax is going to make it back to Rohan safely, right? Um, he knows what he's doing. Um, and that seems to me to pick up on in the previous sentence, and this I remember I did talk about a little bit, and Shadowfax departed, right? Not I sent him away, not, you know, he departed. Like, the the two of us chose to go our separate ways, right? You know, their, uh, their paths separated at that time, and perhaps they will come again uh, uh, later on. Yeah, exactly. Bjarna Sonner. Shadowfax isn't going to have any trouble at the Fords of Tharbad. Exactly. Exactly. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> Good. Turambars of many names says, A maddened king begrudgingly gives a gift, but he is healed and all turns out for the better than he dies. Thorin and Theoden are quite alike. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun parallel. That's a fun parallel. Um, yeah, yeah. And Zephan, you're right. Uh, it is uh, easy to forget that Gandalf and Shadowfax just met, uh, and that this journey is so far is the entirety of their friendship so far. Um, absolutely, yeah. Nice to see they hit it off. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, a great friendship has grown between us. Right. Again, he speaks of him not as a possession, certainly. Right. Not as a 
um, uh, you know, not even as a as a as a as a servant, you know, not even as a, a you know, certainly not as an object, not even as you know a, a gen a, a more general possession uh, like you can own a horse. Um, he speaks of him as a friend. Um, I send him back to his master, like you know, he had. It's like Shadowfax has unfinished business in the South. You know, um, he's not yet ready to leave Theoden. There's, there's, there's more that he has to do here. Um, and Rowan, that's a really great question. How many people can claim to have a great friendship with Gandalf? Yeah, no, I, it's an excellent question. Um, uh, one could, you could say, uh, I mean, it makes me think, uh, Rowan, of that line that Pippin is going to deliver in The Return of the King, you know, um, when... Uh, First, he sort of demurs and and says that he's not he doesn't know Gandalf really well, and then he says, "But perhaps I know him better than a f- than 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 only a few, right?" You know, like Pippin thinks that maybe he knows Gandalf better than anybody on the planet, except maybe just a handful of people. Now, I'm not necessarily sure he's wrong about that, um, uh, even though it's still kind of a big claim, um, but. Um, but if you kind of think about Gandalf's friendship hierarchy, you know, who knows Gandalf best? Uh, Shadowfax has is, is got to be up there. He's above Pippin for sure, I'd say, <laughs> right? But um, uh, but uh, it was probably one or two. Elrond and Goadriel may know him better um, than uh, Shadowfax. But, um, but yeah, he's probably top five, maybe even top three, perhaps. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Astro Gypsy, uh, as you were just saying in the in the YouTube chat, I agree uh, that Gandalf saw Shadowfax as an independent creature of free will, but one who had an obligation to Rohan, a companion whom he could petition for aid. Yeah, exactly. It would it would have been not just impolite to Theoden for him to try to keep Shadowfax based on the, you know, the rash promise that Theoden made that he could choose any horse that he wanted and be gone. Um, it's not just that it would be discourteous to Theoden for him to try to keep Shadowfax permanently on that basis. It would be in that sense, Astro Gypsy, um, uh, uh, discourteous to Shadowfax as well, because Shadowfax does um, have obligations in Rohan, right? And we get, we'll get a little bit of a glimpse of that, I think. Um, you know, he not only has a master, he also has um, subjects, right? In a sense. Um, uh, perhaps others, other responsibilities. Um, yeah, Fort Thomas said Aragorn would be up there. I think Aragorn's top five, too. Um, but I don't know. You know, who is a closer friend to Gandalf, Aragorn or Gandalf, by the end? You know, I don't know. I, I think it's at least worth the discussion. It's it's possible. It's possible Aragorn might edge out the horse, but uh, um, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, it doesn't seem to me a no-brainer. Is all I'm saying. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, but again, then a great friendship has grown between us, and if I have need, he will come at my call. I don't know how to understand that. Um. If I have need, he will come at my call. Does this mean Gandalf can call telepathically across the miles, right? And Shadowfax will come running? Can he summon him at any time? I, I doubt it. 
I mean, that doesn't seem likely. And I say it doesn't seem likely because, um, well, he doesn't do it, right? Um, the only time, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, well, say for Thoughtless, it's hard for me to come to know for sure. It's hard to judge what Gandalf the Grey thinks and means by what Gandalf the White does or is able to do. Because it's pretty clear that Gandalf 2.0 is a significant upgrade, you know, over the old model. And what exactly that means, um, whether the relationship that we see with him, with Shadowfax, is... um, merely finally the actual expression of what has existed the whole time, um, only just now being implemented, or whether this is a reflection of Gandalf's own increased power, um, that's really not um, not really clear to me. Um, but um, yeah, and I agree, Michael. It's It's hard to say. I mean, he traveling with the other eight walkers, right? Uh, I mean, they'd have to change their name if they got horses. And, uh, um, yeah. So, I mean, Gandalf doesn't really have a need for him before Moria. So it is, you know, hard to, um, um, hard to say, right? It is, it is, it is hard to say exactly, you know, whether he would be able to do that or not. Um, if I have need, he will come at my call. Yep. Um, Because, again, when we see that happening, he seems to be in already in Rohan. Right. Gandalf. When we get there, even. Um, uh, Yeah. So. I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, Taroneo says maybe it's Shadowfax who's telepathic. It's possible. Um, uh, It's possible. Um, I wonder, Mad Mad Violinist is wondering if uh, this might be a more conscious than usual manifestation of providence. Um, It's possible in the sense like that he believes that if he had, you know, that basically Gandalf is making a faith statement here, right? That if I have need, shadow facts will come or will be sent or something like that. It is possible to understand it that way. Um, But I would kind of doubt that mostly because the focus of the sentence is on shadow facts, not on like events, not on, you know, not on sort of what sounds like providence or a stroke of luck or something like that, that, that he shadow facts will come if I have need, um, makes it sound more like shadow facts will be able somehow to perceive that need. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it is possible, Kalthiel, that it, that Gandalf is not referring to. And I have to admit, I think this is how I always um, I think this is how I always understood this line previously. Not that he was saying I could call for him across the continent and he would come, um, but rather 
if like I'm sending him back to Rohan, if, you know, I go back to Rohan and we meet again, he will come to me. Um, right. That like, as, as basically as a, as not as a general statement about our like magical telepathic connection right now, but rather as a follow up to the, fra- the, the, the part immediately before, but a great friendship has grown between us. Right. How great a friendship has grown between, well, so great that should we ever meet again, right? Should I ever call to him, you know, he would, he would come like, you know, basically this is, um, this is, this is shadow facts giving Gandalf a five-star review, right? Would totally work with him again. Um, uh, and Gandalf confidently expressing that, um, yeah, <laughs> I've seen a couple people wondering whether or not uh, uh, <laughs> his master, unnamed master, might perhaps not be Theoden, but might actually be Mrs. Shadowfax. Uh, we don't know, uh, of course. He could theoretically have another horse lord. I wouldn't think so. Shadowfax, I mean, if there's another boss horse, uh, you know, in Rohan who is uh, Shadowfax's superior... Um, it's a little hard to imagine. I don't know. It's possible. There could be, you know, right, you know, a higher horse lady. It's possible. But, um, uh, but I'd be surprised. Um, uh, yeah, I, I do, um, Lady Lakata, I do believe also that Shadowfax is sentient. Um, I think that there will be some fairly clear evidence to suggest that Shadowfax is in fact sentient. Um, that seems to me very likely. Um, so again, I'm not saying that I want to rule out if I have need, he will come at my call is, uh, you know, transcontinental teleport, uh, not teleportation. That would be unusual. Um, telepathic connection. It's possible that he means that it's possible that could work. Of course, as we said, we're not going to see it. So we don't have any, you know, certain idea. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, GDC says Shadowfax reports directly to Snowmane. You know, I mean, Snowmane is the King's horse, right? Um, but, um, But Shadowfax is the Lord of the Mayaris. I mean, it seems fairly clear that Theoden's horse, though doubtless a wonderful horse, is uh, um, subordinate to Shadowfax, I think. Um, do we have any evidence that Snowmane was of the Mayaris? Um, I Just that he's the king's horse, and that's what the Mayaris are in Rohan. Um, so, no, I mean, that's a, a little bit of a leap. Uh, by me. I don't remember that being stated explicitly, but again, that's like the context of the Mayaris is that they are, you know, only the king can ride on the Mayaris. So I'm, I am kind of presuming that he was riding one of the Mayaris. Um, the mere fact that um, Snowmane is given a, a an epitaph, right, is given a tombstone, um, we don't get any other horses tombstones, right? So I, Snowmane is treated as if Snowmane is is important, um, uh, and so therefore that's another reason why I assume. I think it's an assumption. I don't know. Somewhere between uh, 
between an assumption and a conclusion. Uh, infer, maybe infer would be safer. Why I infer that Snowmane is one of the Mayoris, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, D. Schwab, I also wish it were given to Shadow Facts like Huan to speak three times. That would be really fun. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. That's it. That's all I wanted to do. That's that's the sentence I missed. I feel better now. Back to the last slide that we were on last time, which we totally didn't finish either. So, okay, so um, we talked about the first paragraph here about um, him asking for forgiveness for the length of his account uh, and his making a big production of the fact that he had to give an account to the ring bearer of so strange an event and it totally had to happen in front of all of the witnesses and take up the time of the entire council, obviously. Um, so that was fine. So yeah, we talked about that. So I want to now come back to the transitional paragraph there and then we can move forward into Elrond's um, Elrond's transition. Um, okay. Um, well, the tale is now told from first to last. Here we all are, and here is the ring. But we have not yet come any nearer to our purpose. What shall we do with it? Okay. First thing. The word tale. Capital T. The tale, capital T, is now told from first to last. Um, I don't think I ever in my life noticed that that was a thing, right? Um, I never really noticed. The tale is told from first to last. First means Elrond's background history, right? When he was talking about um, Numenor, its rise and its fall, and, uh, you know, Gilgalad, and then the Last Alliance, and all, like, all, that's the uh, beginning, the first of the tale, right? And the last of the tale is the Fords of Bruinen, right? Uh, to this point. Um, yeah, the entire history of the ring, uh, Charmacon, exactly, exactly. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. You guys already, I missed that before, and you guys were already talking about the Shadowfax's name, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it means. Uh, uh, fax is, a, is a, an Anglo Saxon word almost exactly said like that because it's f ash x uh facts um um uh which means hair uh, like mane horse's mane uh uh mostly um uh so uh yes shadu fax um is is gray shadowy hair gray hair um and that is totally traditional um totally traditional uh, uh um <laughs> as as Richard Rowland said, uh, Richard was running a a, a one shot uh, one ring role playing system uh, tabletop game that I was playing uh, with him on Friday and the, the evening before Texmoot. Uh, and as he was saying, we were all playing Rohirrim characters, and uh, he said, uh, "All good Anglo Saxons, uh, 
name their horses based on their favorite colors. Um, or perhaps they name their colors after their favorite horses. Uh, it's a little unclear which direction uh, that goes. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, yeah. So Shadowfax is gray. Shadowfax is not a white horse, right? And we you almost always see Gandalf, the white rider, uh, depicted as riding on a white horse, right? You know, Shadowfax almost always gets depicted as a white horse. He's not a white horse. He's a gray horse. Um, looks silvery, right? Or can be like a shade. Um, but uh, he's a gray horse. You can tell on account of um, on account of how his name means gray horse. <laughs> so, but it's magic gray. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I'm sure it's uh, it's it's you know, I'm sure that it's got, um, uh, you know, it, it, the silvery might look whitish under certain circumstances, no question. Um, but, um, yeah, anyhow. Um, so, yes, thank you, guys. I'd forgotten to address that. Thanks for that, guys. Um, okay, so... What was I talking Oh, yeah, tail, capital T. Um I can't help but think forward, but remember forward, as I've often said, um, to Sam and Frodo's discussion about the great tales, right? Um, it might not have occurred to Sam that they're in, you know, that they're in one of the great tales, right? And that it keeps going on and they're in it. Um, although Gandalf is not saying explicitly that this is the same tale that Baron and Luthien are in, which is the insight that Sam has at that moment. Um, he, um, uh, Gandalf is quite clear that they are part of a great tale, a capital T tale, right? You have heard the entire story and this is a capital letter story, right? This is a big thing. He is really, I think drawing attention to the enormity of this moment, right? The tale is now told from first to last. You now understand everything that has built up to this. You are part of the same story that began back in the second age, right? The, the, the story that, uh, of which the downfall of legendary Numenor, uh, the rise and, and, and decline, excuse me, Boromir of the Gondorian and Arnorian kingdoms, all of that stuff is just, th those are just chapters in the great tale, which has led up to this moment. And now we come to this pivotal moment in that great tale when we, among ourselves, decide how is that tale going to end? Or at least what ending are we going to shoot for here? Um, it's a pretty big, um, um, it's a pretty big thing to be putting, I mean, he's, He's building this up, I think, quite a bit. Um, uh, and I agree, from first to last implies that one story or chapter is ending and a new one is beginning. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. I mean, I do think that it's... Um, I don't think he's suggesting, like, okay, we're done with that, and now it's time for a completely new thing, right? I mean, it's... Um, this is the final chapter, 
right? Um, the final chapter of this great tale, I think. Uh, yeah, Kit says, no pressure. Well, that's exactly it, right? Um, yeah, that's what just what Lady Lakata was thinking, that it implies that this next chapter is the last chapter. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it does. Um, <clears throat> absolutely. Um, so... Um, And then that next sentence, here we all are, and here is the ring. I find that sentence a really fascinating sentence. If we just skip that, right? I mean, it, like, it doesn't seem to contribute anything. Well, the tale is now told from first to last, but we have not yet come any nearer to our purpose. What shall we do with it? That would flow perfectly well, right? We don't need, like, here we all are, and here is the ring. Yeah, right, Gandalf. That's exceptionally obvious. We, we, we are, in fact, all here. Um, and Frodo has brought out the ring already. We're aware that it's here, right? Um, why does Gandalf say this? And why does he say it in this way, right? In a compound sentence um, where the first clause, here we all are, is then balanced with the clause, and here is the ring. Here's us on the one hand, and here's the ring on the other hand. Um, it seems to me that he is suggesting, uh, but the reason that he's kind of dragging that out in that way, like what is he trying to emphasize? You know, by saying it doesn't seem to serve any purpose, um, what I mean to say is, See, I actually find sentences, especially in moments like this, like really important rhetorical moments, um, this, is, this doesn't mean that I think it's a throwaway line or like should have been cut or something like that. Um, but rather, it shows that Gandalf is going out of his way to make a point. And so therefore, it makes that sentence doubly interesting to me. What point is it that he's trying to make? He doesn't have to say that, right? Um, what... Um, uh, what does that, what does he emphasize there? Now, um, uh, Aird 84, I don't know how to pronounce the double A at the beginning of your name there, um, but um, I like your emphasis. Here we all are, elves, men, dwarves, etc. So emphasis on the, uh, uh, the collection, right? The collective nature. We are all together. Um, this is not, this should not be that it could be a kind of a preemptive thing. This is not a, like, there's not like two sides of a debate to come. They are going to debate, right? But he precedes the debate. He introduces the debate by first showing the, the only real opposition here, the only real enmity, the only opposition sides in what comes is all of us together on the one hand and Sauron on the other hand, but of course the ring itself, the ring itself is all of their enemies, right? Um, and I um, and I like that, and I like that. And Flamifer, you're right, he picks up on that again in his last question. What shall we do with it? Um, yeah. It is for us to decide. Um, uh, yes, the, the consistent plural through there we, here we all are, but we have not yet come any nearer to our purpose. What shall we do with it? Um, throughout, he is emphasizing they are all in this together. They all have a purpose. They have one purpose. Um, um, 
they have to decide what they together shall do. And he begins by, here we all are. <laughs> Lady Lakata says, to be fair, no one is entirely on the Ents side. True, Lady Lakata, but they're not there. So uh, there we go. Um, yeah, oh, good. JJ was thinking of the same thing. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, now I agree, Gilgonthir, that um, collective responsibility like this requires a solidarity that the ring doesn't typically encourage. That is true. Um Gandalf is, whether he knows it or not, and I suspect that he does know it, or at least suspects it, um, he is, in speaking this way, acting directly in opposition to the action of the ring itself, to the, to the, to the tendencies of the ring itself, right? Which we've already seen is to separate, right? Remember how Frodo kept having the, I can... Well, you know, leave my friends behind and go off on my own, whether it's leaving the house of Tom Bombadil on his own and who knows what the plan was there or him abandoning his friends in the Barrow. We've seen that tendency a couple times. Right. Um, so perhaps Gandalf is not only um, sort of speaking against and working against any kind of you know, political or ideological divisions that might emerge during the open debate portion of the council, um, <clears throat> but also speaking against the actual, um, you know, the sort of spiritual influence uh, of the ring itself. That seems that seems to me very possible. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, and then I agree. So both um, Frumius Bujum and D. Schwab are remembering Elrond's emphasis at the beginning of the council that they were all called, though he, Elrond, did not call them, right? They have been brought together for a purpose, and this is the purpose for which they have been brought together, though none of them planned the convocation, right? None of them planned the council and brought everybody together for that purpose. Um, and so Gandalf, I, I think that we can hear um, Gandalf basically making a, a, a similar kind of uh, acknowledgement there, right? Here we all are. We've been brought here together. And the ring has been brought among us here as well, right? Um, so you could see, in that sense, this statement as basically the follow-up to Elrond's declaration of the providential nature of the gathering in the first place, right? He, only, he, he just kind of hints at the fact that they've been brought together for some purpose, but he doesn't give any hints yet as to exactly what that purpose is. Now, Gandalf is ready to lay that on the table, so to speak. Um, and... Uh, um, he, uh, here we all are, and here is the ring. This is the purpose. Uh, and notice how he, he like takes that for granted almost. But we have not yet come any nearer to our purpose. What is our purpose? What is the purpose for which they have all been called? They have all been called together uh, in order to, uh, uh, you know, take counsels stronger than Morgul spells, right? Um, uh, they're going to determine. They're going to set out on the final chapter of this great tale that they've all been a part of, right? Um, 
Yes. Yes. Um, right. Uh, uh, Titan, Titan, Titanamaki. Titan, Titan, I keep forgetting how to pronounce it. I, I figured it out before. Um, uh, Titanamaki. That's what I was going to, yeah, that was it. Titanamaki uh, says, I would dispute that they've come no nearer to their purpose. Well, they've not come near ex- to an explicit decision, right? In fact, they haven't even had the question put on the table yet, so to speak, right? Um, what shall we do with it? Might perhaps have been a question implicitly building in the room ever since it was revealed uh, that uh, the ring was there. But keep in mind, it does not strike me... Um, it doesn't strike me. I like that metaphor. Valori says they've they found a parking spot near the purpose, uh, but they've not gotten there yet. Um, uh, but anyway, I was going to say that um, you know we've not you know yet come any nearer to our purpose. It's not a given that the purpose of the council is to make this decision, right? I don't think it's a given. Um, might it not? If you were, say, Legolas, right? Imagine you're Legolas. You've just arrived, right? You've just arrived. You've um, been invited to this council. You didn't come here for a council, right? You came as a messenger. Your dad said, okay, son, uh, go to seek for Mithrandir. He's probably in Imladris. Go try to find him there. Tell him that we let him down and Gollum escaped. Right. So he goes and he arrives and they're like, oh, yeah, uh, why don't you come to this all day council? We're not serving lunch. Right. And he goes. Right. And he now is hearing all these things. Like if you're Legolas, do you assume it's going to be up to you? Do you assume you you have a vote um, that like when you showed up to deliver your father's slightly embarrassing message to Gandalf um, that you're going to get a vote to determine the fate of the world? Like, is that what, that's not what you signed up for, right? You had no idea that that was coming. In fact, you might possibly, um, you might possibly begin to think that maybe this decision is better off being made by, you know, the wise. Um, uh, That's what I mean when I say it's a no-brainer. I mean, Many of the people, I would guess probably Legolas, um, possibly even Gimli and Glowen, um, who would certainly feel themselves to be outsiders at this council, right? Um, even though they've been generally treated courteously. Um, uh, yeah, well, he's been treated courteously. He was the one who got slightly discourteous there for uh, for a moment um, at one point. Anyway, like... If anything, you might have been suspecting if you were one of these sort of not one of the people setting the agenda. Right. Uh, Even Galdor of the Havens, perhaps. Right. Even he might have been assuming as he was listening all the way through to all of this stuff. um, Remember, he speaks of the wise as if he's not one of them. Right. Uh, Galdor does. Um, So even Galdor might be assuming that what's coming next is a briefing. Not a debate, right? Like, it's, it's so Gandalf and Elrond are going to tell us the plan, right? About what happens next. 
um, right? That's going to be probably what happens next. Um, except that's not what happens, right? Gandalf is here, and I th- this is the moment when I think he's making it clear. And it might be a bit of a surprise, I think, to some of the other people in the council. We're now going to openly debate this. We're going to discuss this now. And you're, you, all of you here, are going to help us. Our collective purpose is to decide what we shall do with it. Now, Elrond and Gandalf very likely have good reasons to leaving this open to general debate. But again, I, it cannot seem to me like that's even the obvious default option here. Like, I don't know how many people in the room were assuming all along that, you know, obviously now that the whole this whole ring of power thing has come out, it's obvious that, you know, we're going to have to de- together decide um, what's going to happen. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Divine Saru says, uh, I'm always a little struck Uh, stuck under the consideration of the efficacy of providence. I don't necessarily adopt a sense of fatalism about the events of the world, but to what extent can one act in opposition to the guiding force of providence? Um, When does providence stop steering you back onto the course of destiny? Well, yeah, so uh, uh, to what extent can one act in opposition to the guiding force of providence? I'm so tempted to say ask Turin Turambar, but I mean, it is possible. To try to do that now, Turin Turambar was trying to act against Morgoth's curse, not against Providence, I know. But it's a similar kind of effect for him, certainly. Um, but, um, yeah, so... And sorry, Flamifer, you had said something before I wanted to come back to. Yeah, Boromir certainly thinks the purpose of the Council is to figure out how to defend against Sauron. The disposition of the Ring is a sideshow unless it can be used as a weapon. Yeah, so Flamifer, I agree with you there that uh, Boromir does, especially because of the poem, right? The poem instructed him to believe that that there will be councils, you know, taken, right? That like that big stuff was going to happen in, at Imidris, and it was going to be really important, and even important perhaps for opposing Minas Morgul, which seems like a good idea, stronger than Morgul spells. I'm thinking. So, okay, great. The Morgul spells were giving them some serious trouble on the battlefield before he left. Nobody could stand, you know, before the Dark Riders. So, um, so yeah, let's get some of those uh, those councils that are stronger than Morgul spells. That sounds like a great idea. So, I could imagine Flamma for him thinking that the outcome of this council was going to be um, secrets revealed. Right. Like, uh, you know, Elrond was going to give him some kind of I don't know what, some sorcery or something, some talisman, perhaps, that could defend against uh, the spells of Morgul. You know, I could I'm, I'm just brainstorming here what kinds of things that um, um, uh, that Boromir might have been imagining. Right. Um, uh, as being um, the outcome. Of the council, but I, I, I certainly think, even just by the fact that he came in the first place, he instead of Faramir, that he believes that he's going to get something useful here to help with the defense of Gondor. So I totally agree with that. Um, Boromir, I think, is one of the people in the room who's most likely to take for granted that he should have some say in what happens, right? No question. 
Um, he's the overgeneral of the armies of Gondor. So, yeah, and that's the battlefield in question, right? That's the that's where things are actually being decided. So, obviously, he should have a say. I don't think that that would be a surprise to Boromir at all. Um, uh, however, I agree with you that the disposition of the ring, unless it have an impact on the battle, a direct impact on you know the defense of Gondor, it pro- might seem like a kind of... Uh, like a kind of uh, uh, sideshow. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Now, Johannes, I agree that a lot of the members of the council are lords or royalty. Would they be used to get a say? Well, let me ask you this. Did they get a say as to the disposition of the three elvish rings of power? Anybody consult them on that question? Right now you could say, well, they aren't elves. Were any of the elves here consulted? Did anybody ask Galdor? Right? Did anybody ask Glorfindel what to do about the three elvish rings? You know, I'm I doubt it. Um, so uh, again, I'm just saying it's yes. I'm I, you know they are all people of significance, and they would certainly be used to you know making decisions and 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 being consulted, but not necessarily about something like this. Again, like that, the wise would step forward and lay it out for them what the plan was. Um, it seems to me might very likely be something that um, is uh, um, you know a very likely outcome at the very least Um, but um, yeah anyway um, oh yeah I totally agree with you Fourth Dauntless if you want to if you want to know what it's like to try to act in defiance of providence and destiny, ask Melkor or Sauron. Yes, yes. They would certainly be the experts on that. Um, Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Yes, all ring questions are above almost everyone's security clearance. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, uh, And Green Great Dragon, I too doubt that Círdan held a council to approve giving his ring to Gandalf. I I mean, Galdor is from the Havens. Galdor is... No question. I have no doubt that Galdor is a close counselor and uh, a very long, possibly extremely long term friend and working partner uh, of Cairdin the Shipwright. Um, Galdor, for all I know, has been at the Havens, you know, for, you know, 10 millennia uh, working with Cairdin the Shipwright. Um, But that doesn't necessarily convince me that Círdan consulted him or even informed him after the fact uh, when he gave his ring to Gandalf. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, um, absolutely. Um, Okay, cool. Um, Here we all are, and here is the ring. The other thing I was going to say about that, the way that that sentence is constructed, is just basically to emphasize the other half of the observation that we were making before. Yes, it definitely does emphasize that all of them are joined together. You know, we've talked about the importance of the we and the us uh, in this sentence and in this whole paragraph, but the opposition as well, right? The implication. We are all here and here is the ring. Notice he's not connecting the ring with them. He does not say, we are all here and we have the ring. He doesn't say that, right? He distances the ring from them. Um, the only connection between them and the ring 
is that they and the ring are all in the same physical location, right? And therefore, we have to decide what we shall do with it. We're certainly not going to let it do anything to us. And we don't get, they don't have it. They don't own it. They don't deserve it, right? They don't, he, he distances it from them. But he also seems to me to suggest or imply that the ring itself if they are all together on one side, the ring is against them, right? The ring is a hostile force. It is their enemy. Um, and they all need to, you know, sort of make sure that they remember that uh, really important and simple fact. Um, there's us over here, and there's the ring over there. Um, uh, it's more like... Um, a choice of what to do with a very dangerous prisoner, essentially. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Um, Good, yeah. Uh, 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 Titanamaki says a more leading question might have been, what shall we do to it? Um, yes. He does leave that open. Um, he does not... I don't think... I mean, he has set it up in this particular way, right? He has suggested this kind of almost adversarial relationship between all of them on the one hand and the ring on the other hand. But he's not really tipping his hand. He doesn't start by saying... I mean, he could have done, right? He could easily... His question, instead of saying, what shall we do with it, his question could well have been, so we're getting rid of it, right? Right? So does everybody agree we should disp we should get rid of it somehow? Um, you know, it, he, he does not lead uh, the jury uh, in that case. Um, yeah, yeah. And Turambar, you're right. There is some protocol for handling prisoners. The only model for ring handling is bad. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Good, yeah. L Lady Lakata, you're right. He could have said, how shall we dispose of it? Or something like that. Um, which can have a double meaning itself, but is much more weighted in the one direction. Absolutely. Um, yes, yes. Um, um And that's interesting. Valor is wondering if it might be a preliminary test in that case to see if it's already trying to assert its influence. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Um, right, yeah, Nancy says it's a great opportunity to spot the people who want the ring. Uh, to speak up yeah, by leaving it open. Um, is Gandalf testing the people who are there? Is he pulling a little, you know, uh, sort of minor league Galadriel on the lot of them by posing the question in this way? I think that that might be so. I mean, look, I have no doubt at all in my mind that both Gandalf and Elrond knew what the desired outcome of this council is, right? They have an ending that they're shooting for. We know this because Gandalf tells it to Frodo 
in his parlor in Bag End, right? When Frodo's asking what's to be done and, 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 you know, how do you get rid of the ring? You know, Gandalf's like, what you need to, here's what you need to do. What you need to do is take it to the, you know, uh, the cracks of doom and throw it in the fire. Um, we know that's already on Gandalf's mind. Um, and I think that both of them are already pretty clear. Um, so why do they leave it open to general debate? It's possible that they are genuinely seeking wisdom, that they are seeking confirmation, um, that what they think should be done is in fact the right thing to do. I don't rule that out at all. Um, but I do agree that by, as you know, a couple of you were suggesting there, by leaving it open, he does... I don't think he's laying traps for people. I don't think he's trying to... Um, uh, just sort of screen people, you know, in, exactly in that way. Um, but um, uh, but it does help to reveal things, right? Um, and I agree to Urmbar that the, the the decision also can't be forced on people. Although again, like I think it could actually. Like, again, I mean, if Elrond just came and said, you know, all of this was a build-up to me explaining to you what I think we should do. Right? And eventually he is going to do that. Right? But he could lead with that. He could just be like, so, um, I prepared a PowerPoint presentation in which I'm going to go through all the reasons why this is the right thing to do and to, you know, explain to you my decision. Again, no needn't be any presumption on a vote apart from the fact that Providence seems to have called them all together for that purpose. Um, but I agree, Johannes, I think that they do want them to reach that conclusion for themselves. I think that they do want them all to see that. Um, and one of the reasons is that we and us that we were talking about, right? It's important for them all to be in this together. It's important for them, especially representing as they do most of the free peoples, um, uh, to... Uh, for them all to be together. You know, this tale, which goes back before and through the last alliance, that they're continuing, or they're still in the tale of the last alliance. And this council is like the really last alliance, right? Um, it's not a last alliance in the same way as the old one, but um, but this council itself is is in a sense, recapitulating that. Um, not by their own choice, right? And Elrond can sort of see that uh, coming. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Athelos, yes. Well, we'll come back to this question. Um We'll come back to this question. Uh, Athelos is thinking about Gandalf perhaps kind of nudging Frodo along to get him to volunteer to take the ring. He's certainly not going to force it upon Frodo, but I think that Gandalf already sees. I think we can tell by what he said to himself when he was looking at Frodo while Frodo was lying in bed in the previous chapter that he sees that Frodo was called to this, right? Providence has not only 
brought them all together for this moment. Providence has also named a ring bearer, right? A ring bearer has stepped forward, but he has to volunteer to go the last, the the, ne- the last stage, right? The next stage. Um, he's got to take that on himself, or it won't work. Um, but I agree, he's pretty well the only candidate for the quest. Who's the back? What's the backup plan? Um, ruling out the other hobbits for a second. What's the non-hobbit backup plan? Who else is going to take the ring? Um, could anyone else at this council do it or be trusted to do it? You know, I um, I don't um, I don't really think so. Um, yeah, anyway. Um, I agree that it's not a foregone conclusion in the sense that, again, no one is already, you know, they haven't already voted Frodo in. Um, I think he legitimately is leaving it up to Frodo to choose. But I do definitely believe that Gandalf and El, but Gandalf in particular is already pretty convinced that Frodo is the one who should do it, that that's how, what's supposed to happen. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, Fort Dauntless, I, 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 I'm not sure that Gimli wouldn't be my, my second choice, actually, about the, the dwarves' resistance to corruption. I mean, we know they're susceptible to other things, but I'm not sure Gimli wouldn't be a good backup plan, actually. Um, I could see that. I could see that. Um, but, um, anyway, um, What shall we do with it? Hey, let's look at the transition. This is grievous news concerning Saruman, he said. For we deeply, we trusted him, and he is deep in all our counsels. It is perilous to study too deeply the arts of the enemy, for good or for ill. But such falls and betrayals, alas, have happened before. Of the tales that we have heard this day, the tale of Frodo was most strange to me. I have known few hobbits, save Bilbo here, and it seems to me that he is perhaps not so alone and singular as I had thought him. The world has changed much since I last was on the westward roads. The Barrow Whites we know by many names, and of the old forest many tales have been told. All that now remains is but an outlier of its northern march. Time was when a squirrel could go from tree to tree from what is now the Shire to Dunland west of Isengard. In those lands I journeyed once, and many things wild and strange I knew. But I had forgotten Bombadil, if indeed this is still the same that walked the woods and hills long ago, and even then was older than the old. That was not then his name. Iarwine Benadar, we called him, oldest and fatherless. But many another name he has since been given by other folk, Forn by the dwarves, Oralled by northern men, and other names beside. He is a strange creature, but maybe I should have summoned him to our council. Um, Elrond really is not a good meeting chair. Um, Gandalf has just set up a gorgeous transition, right? A segue into the action item. This is what it's all been leading towards and when Elrond (laughs) takes the floor again he just 
starts rambling, just absolutely rambling about the details of Frodo's story, right? Um, I, this is, this might be actually the most, to me, kind of shocking moment of the council in some ways. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Ambrosius Aurelianus thinks that, yes, he, he totally should have um, summoned uh, uh, Tom Bombadil, um, that it, it, it might have uh, extended the length of the council by quite a bit, but who wouldn't want to see what he might do? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Nancy, this does sound like a moment for a Gandalf facepalm. Like, I just teed it up for you there, Elrond, and, uh, really, really. Um, uh, <laughs> um, so, I don't know what he's doing. I would like to believe, and I would like to become convinced, that this is all very strategic on Elrond's part. That uh, although it may seem like a complete non sequitur and an absolute deflation of the moment that Gandalf's just set up, I'd like to believe it's none of those things. But it really sounds like it, doesn't it? Um... Uh, <laughs> yeah, as Karina says, look, I know the relative habitat size of squirrels might not seem relevant, but, but let's hear them out. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Let's, let's see. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I agree, Tarlonio. It's Elrond's house. You know, he can ramble as much as he likes. You know, his house, his rules. Um, uh, now, D. Schwab thinks that he's engaging in strategic, foolish inefficiency. Possibly. Very, very possibly. Um, I would, again, I would like to believe that. So, all right. So let's, let's, let's go back through it. This is grievous news concerning Saruman. Okay, so here's my, here's my, um, plan A, Right. Uh, Tormbar is thinking he might just be giving everybody time to think about the bomb Gandalf just dropped. Yeah, is his rambling about how the continent used to look several thousand years ago better than silence for people to be thinking? Like, seriously, like Elrond, half elven, you know, greatest of lore masters, is going to be like, I'm just going to talk for a while, assuming nobody actually cares about anything that I say, just to give you time to think. Again, I'm not saying. You know, he might not want to diffuse things a little bit, maybe. But again, I think that Gandalf set those things up for for a reason. Um, but um, uh, anyway, so here's 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 my first approach. Let's go through and just outline the beginning of his response here. Okay, um, let's outline it. He addresses the significance of Saruman's betrayal. 
we trusted him and he was deep in our councils. Um, little commentary, you know, little take home message, uh, little, little personal application for the fall about the fall of Saruman. Okay. Um, then, of the tales we have heard this day, the tale of Frodo was most strange to me. I have known few hobbits save Bilbo here. Um, the world has changed much. So, so if we outline that first paragraph, it's Saruman's treachery is really bad and we should all, um, you know, uh, we should all take warning from it. You know, if it happens to Saruman, it could happen to any of you. So remember this, young folks. And second... Hobbits sure are weird, huh? Who knew? I, I thought Bilbo was just a freak, but it turns out they're all freaks in a really good way, right? Um, so, okay, so we're beginning to lose the thread a little bit. A commentary on Saruman seems totally apt, right? <laughs> right. And then Nancy says, step three, squirrels. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, yes. And now you're right. You're right. Point of interest. Elrond doesn't say uh, that he has known no hobbits save Bilbo here. He's known few hobbits save Bilbo here. Um, so there, he is presumably not the first hobbit uh, to come to Rivendell. Um, though I wonder... He might be the first to come to Rivendell because having implied for Dauntless that he has met other hobbits prior to Bilbo, um, he then says the world has changed much since I was last on the Westward Road. So I think that Elrond might have gone to the Shire previously um, at some point. <laughs> I'm sure he knows Farmer Maggot. Everybody knows Farmer Maggot, right? Um, Farmer Maggot has like a continental reputation, clearly. Um, and he might have met Bob. You're totally right, Lady Wakata, about that as well. Um, um, but, um, and I know there were mention of hobbits going on adventures with Gandalf to see the elves. That's, that's certainly very possible. Um, and I'm not saying that Bilbo is necessarily the first ever to come to Rivendell. I just mean, I just think it's interesting that he does seem to connect the ideas of him knowing other hobbits and him being on the westward roads. So he does imply um, a, a link between those two things, I think. Um, yeah, I agree, Tornbar. They should have invited Farmer Maggot uh, to the council. Totally, totally. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe he officiated the wedding between the Took and the Fairy Wife. Who knows? Who knows? I agree, Fort Thalas. Farmer Maggot would not have come. No, no, he would not have. Um, uh, <laughs> for Mad Violetta says there would bloody well have been lunch if they'd invited Farmer Maggot. Yeah, he'd have he'd have brought lunch, probably he'd have catered lunch if they'd invited Farmer Maggot. Um, but it would have set the wife to Wharton. I agree. He probably wouldn't have done it. Um, but um, anyway, anyway, okay, okay. Topic one: Saruman in particular, treachery in general. Topic two. Hobbits in general and Frodo and Bilbo in particular. Then, the Barrow Whites we know by many names. Okay, hang on. So, heading. Now we're just reviewing Frodo's story, right? So, this is a Elrond's freeform commentary on Frodo's narrative, is what we're getting. Um, 
Frodo mentioned several things which were kind of interesting, right? The Barrowites. Oh, yeah, we've totally heard of the Barrowites. And there you, you know them by many names. Great. And you've heard of the Old Forest. Okay. Right. Why? And now squirrels, right? Now we're talking about squirrels um, and uh, how great the Old Forest used to be. Okay. Right. And now personal remembrances. I used to journey in those land once and things wild and strange I knew. Why do we care? Are you ratifying Frodo's story about Old Man Willow? You know, like, yeah. The old forest used to be huge, and I used to walk in the old forest myself back in the old days, and there were lots of wild and strange things there. Totally plausible. But I had forgotten Bombadil. Um, if indeed it's still the same. Um Okay, Matt, that's that's it. That's at least a thread, right? Uh, one place uh, Destardi says, you know, we've got the geographical connection he's drawing between the Shire and Dunland west of Isengard. We are kind of circling back to the Isengard issue, right? Um, so is that why, having just heard the story about the old forest? It made him remember that, and that he's associating it vaguely with Saruman because of Isengard. Still pretty stream of consciousness. I mean, there's a kind of thread there, but it's certainly not a not a not a good thread, really. Um, um, <laughs> yeah. Alia Eru, I agree. At least he waited for a pause rather rather than interrupting earlier. Right, it could have been worse in that way. He could have, uh, um, he could have, um, um, just come out with this in the middle of of Frodo's talk. Of course, maybe he did. I mean, he didn't say exactly this. I mean, but uh, remember, Bilbo was cranky about all the interruptions, right? And all the, the, I mean, people were interrupting Frodo all the way through. Um, you'd think that if he was going to ramble like this, that might've been at least as, uh, you know, not a worse time than this, <laughs> but he's kind of saved it all up. Right. Um, <laughs> Tarloniel says, uh, Elrond, I have several pages of notes here. On page one, I was thinking about this. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mudmore, I doubt he's implying that they should get a squirrel to carry the ring. Um, though that sounds like, uh, you know, um, it, it sounds very like a very Narnian sort of suggestion. Um, um, and now you're right, uh, Brian. Uh, I agree with you that through all of this, he does lend credence to Frodo's tale. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I agree. He is kind of backing Frodo up all the way through. Again, I think that if anyone... So, honestly, that's the best I've come up with so far, you know, that anybody has suggested so far, as to, like, what the function of this digression is, right? If it serves any actual positive purpose, it would be to 
reinforced. Like, if anybody doubts Frodo, if anyone is wondering whether or not, you know, this Hobbit's tale of his journey from the Shire is legit or believable, um, that this is Elrond basically saying, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I totally... I totally buy it. Barrow Whites, yep, yeah, no, of course, absolutely. That's a given, right? And uh, Old Forest, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. Tom Bombadil, yeah, strange dude. Met him a long time back, right? Didn't know he's still around. That's fun. Um, I, I mean, yeah, sure. Like, it, it does endorse Frodo in that sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Right. Mad Violinist says, to sum up then, Frodo's tale is plausible no matter what you think. Hobbits are singular, so when we give the fate of the ring into their hands, it won't seem quite so ridiculous as it might. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. um, Hobbits are weird, and Frodo is very extraordinary. Um, So certainly... The transition, and now again, if we, and by the way, squirrels, yes, um, uh, that first paragraph, the kind of internal integrity, making the assumption that there is internal integrity in that first paragraph, um, it is an interesting transition, right? Treachery. This is grievous news concerning Saruman. We trusted him, and he is deep in all our counsels. It is perilous to study too deeply the arts of the enemy, for good or for ill, for such, but such falls and betrayals, alas, have happened before. Right? Saruman, we trusted Saruman. We thought he was completely trustworthy. And he is deep in all of our counsels. He is among the wise. Right? He has been one of the decision-makers for our side from the beginning. Look what can happen when you get too close to the arts of the enemy, even if you're somebody like Saruman. Trustworthy, wise, deep in all of our counsels. And it's not just Saruman. Such falls and betrayals, alas, have happened before. There's precedent for this kind of thing. Can we see this as a kind of... Um, uh, roundabout way of setting up the choice of Frodo as ring bearer. Um, him anticipating, we're going to come around to the question, who who should be entrusted with the ring? Right? So let's just remember the Saruman news and the significance of the Saruman news. Just because someone is very wise and extremely trustworthy, deep in all of our councils, part of our decision-making for centuries and centuries, right? Multiple, multiple millennia at this point, right? Even somebody with standing like that can't necessarily be trusted, and it's not just him. It's happened before. There are other precedents for this kind of thing. Um... Segway. Hobbits. Yeah, hobbits are interesting, though. Hobbits are interesting, though. I've always thought that Bilbo was very singular. But Frodo seems to be even more singular uh, than Bilbo. Um, uh, Frodo is just as impressive to me 
uh, than uh, uh, than Bilbo. Yeah. Um, now, Forthalishism goes so far as to say explicitly that such people as Saruman are particularly vulnerable. But um, but yeah, it's certainly the Saruman precedent establishes the fact that no degree of power, no amount of wisdom, no extent of trust is necessarily sufficient. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, Gorfindel, Elrond, Gandalf, none of them. If Saruman is not, you know, above temptation, if he is not, if he's going to fall in this way, any of them could fall. Um, and so that, um, uh, that transition to hobbits, having just established the fallibility of the wise and great, seems interesting. And notice his segue. Of the tales we have heard this day, the tale of Frodo is most strange to me, right? Looking back on all the things that we've heard, so I'm, I've just emphasized the Saruman point, right? Now thinking back over all the stories, let me immediately in the same paragraph draw your attention to Frodo's story. Right. Um, And think about the strangeness of Frodo's story, not just the strangeness of the events described in it, but the strangeness of the fact that a hobbit is telling this story, that a hobbit has done these things, that these things have happened with a hobbit. Is he perhaps trying to draw attention to what I think Gandalf, what I was just arguing, that I think that Gandalf already believes that Providence has chosen Frodo already, as Gandalf himself almost implies to Frodo, right? Um, back in Bag End. Um, uh, you were meant to have it, remember, he says to, uh, uh, to Frodo, suggesting that that might be a comforting thought. And Frodo very quickly, strongly, and I think quite appropriately says that is not, in fact, at all reassuring. Um, uh, so, anyway, that transition... So, I think, although he's being very indirect, I think I can track with him to that point, right? Um, I'm trying to bring the squirrels into this conversation. <laughs> I don't know what to do about the squirrels. Um uh, yeah, yeah. yeah D. Schwab, yes. Let's end on the bit that most supports my undisclosed desired outcome. Yeah, no, exactly. That's just what I think. Um, uh, that's just what I think he seems to me to be doing there. Um, And yes, you're right, Lady Lakata. Um, Saruman's betrayal is not strange. It's happened before. It's grievous, but it's not strange. On the one hand, we have this grievous but established pattern. The Great Fall. right? The wise become wise in their own eyes. Um, uh, and the powerful seek more power. That's known. But of the tales we have heard this day, the tale of Frodo was most strange to me. 
right? Here's the weird thing. Can I draw everybody's attention to the one thing here that was, that really seems most noteworthy, right? And that's Frodo over there. And not just Frodo personally, but what has been happening to him. It's almost like he's also saying, look at the pattern. Look at the pattern, right? Look at what the fact that the ring came to him the way that it did, we've already talked about that with part of the capital T tale, right? Was the ring happening to be found by Bilbo and then being passed on to Frodo? Um, and Frodo, so Frodo is meant to have it, right? They didn't use that phrase here, but, you know, he would seem to be pointing to something kind of similar there. But then also remember his story. Look at everything and how it happened. Look at how Providence seems to have been working for him all along. Right. Look at how, you know, we were talking about Gandalf's emphasis that Providence is kind of has been on their side. They do have reason for encouragement here. Right. So, okay, I see that. I see that. Um, But. um, Why the second paragraph? (laughs) Let's do it again. Barrow Whites we know by many names, and of the old forest many tales have been told. All that now remains is but an outlier of its northern march. Time was when a squirrel could go from tree to tree. Okay. All right. Let's see. Now, what's he doing? He's transitioning from two of the events of Frodo's tale, the Barrow Whites and the Old Forest, and he is connecting them with his historical experience. He remembers when the Old Forest was much greater, when you could measure it in many, many squirrels. Uh, And he knew Tom Bomb. He knew the Barrow Whites. He knew Tom Bombadil, and Tom Bombadil also is connected to that old world. That Tom Bombadil himself walked the woods long ago, and was older than the old. Um, is the effect to point out then that? Um, uh, And Gilgaletti, I I wish I knew the other names of the Barrow Whites. Um, Barrow White is not a very good name. Um, I mean, you know, I've paraphrased it before as grave dudes. Um, You know, it's uh, it's a pretty generic word. You know, white is an extremely generic Middle English word for dude or guy. Um, uh, So, like, the guys who live in... Barrows is a not an exceptionally good name. Um, uh, <laughs> Sorry, I like Dolores Strokes' comment. Time was when a fox could get some peace and quiet and take a nap under his favorite Goram tree. Yeah, exactly. Right. Those days are over. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, 
Yeah, not no mention of Goldberry for Thalnus. I wonder if um, if that does suggest that their marriage was a recent event. I mean, did did uh, did Elrond actually know Tom Bombadil back in his wild bachelor days? Uh, maybe, maybe um, that seems possible. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Elrond was clearly not invited to the wedding. Yeah, I think not. Um, um, what I was getting at, though. Yes, on the one hand, as we've discussed, he's kind of endorsing Frodo's story. Right. Like, yeah, all those things that he described, totally legit. I can vouch for that. But there's more than that. Again, because he's not just saying, yep, Old Forest sure is weird, and I know Tom Bombadil, so, you know, I know just what you mean. Um, he's not just saying that. He's saying the Old Forest that Frodo... Remember he said that uh, the tale of Frodo was most strange to me, right? What is strange about it? Along the way... Frodo has encountered things that Elrond remembers from these ancient days. We're not told exactly when this was, right? Uh, time was, um, many things, uh, uh, I journeyed once, um, even then, he was older than the old. Long ago, he says. He calls it long ago, so I don't know, you know, what it is. But, um, uh, so what's his emphasis? One theory, again, is that Frodo has encountered along his way all of these ancient Things. Oh, Michael, I agree. I think the squirrel thing is pre-colonial. I think that 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 squirrel habitats, the time of the of the restriction of squirrel habitat was during the Numenorean period, right? The Numenorean uh, colonial period and, and shipbuilding period. That was the time of the deforestation um, of of Eriador. Yeah, that's explicit. Um, so I do think that he's. Um, He's thinking about this. Uh, so when he says long ago, I think he's definitely thinking early first, early second age, basically. Um, uh, so. But he hears in Frodo's story connections to the old world that he knew back in the old days, right? I think it would be, um, I think it would be, I think that it would be overstating the case to say something like the ancient things of the world are like awakening as Frodo bears the ring you know, from the Shire to Rivendell. It's not like Tom Bombadil's been in hibernation all this time, 
you know, nor the Barrowites for that matter. I mean, the legends of the Shire speak of activity and the uh, and the terrible spells of the Barrowites, so it's not like they they're dormant or anything. So I don't mean to actually suggest that they're uh, emerging from dormancy, but rather, again, I'm thinking back to the capital T tale, right? Elrond seeing the ways in which even the ancient things of the world, and he dwells on Tom Bombadil because Tom Bombadil was older than the old, even back in those days, right? Um, that um, all of these things have been connected to, tied in with, um, or again, to look at it, it's not like Frodo's done it, right? It's not like Frodo's woken them all up, um, but that Providence has led Frodo down this sort of Elrond's own memory lane, right, of Eriador. It is like the ancient Eriador that Frodo has encountered on his way through. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, um, but all things concerned, all things considered, rather, um, yeah, Michael Tobias is saying the fact that Frodo has encountered all of these, it's as though his story now sort of rhymes with the other great tales of destiny. Um, yeah, that it's even clearer to Elrond than it is to other people that Frodo's adventures on the way here were not just a random series of modern adventures, but that Frodo's tale is part of a great tale that extends, uh, you know, that extends back even longer than his own memory because Tom Bombadil, who even knows? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. As Fred Rock Paper says on Twitch, you're obviously part of the tale. You've mentioned the, the recurring characters. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And Athelas, you're right. Elrond is also relating to Frodo's tale. He is connecting with Frodo's tale. Um, if nothing else, and this is kind of feeding on what we were saying before about him kind of vouching for Frodo's tale, even more than just saying, if it sounds weird, hey, no, he's right. I can, you know, it's, these things are, these things totally happen. Even beyond that, um, he is... His tale and Frodo's tale are overlapping. He sees he's seeing himself as part of Frodo's story, or maybe the other way around, right? Um, seeing how clearly Frodo's own um, Frodo's own journey, Frodo's own adventure, is a continuation, is an extension of um, the great tale that Elrond himself has been a part of for a really long time. Um, That's really interesting, Matt. Uh, Matt says, um, uh, I hadn't considered this until now, but Frodo's journey seems like a fairy tale to a denizen of fairy. Um, it contains things that are as wondrous to Elrond as tales of Rivendell would be to Sam. That's a really fascinating idea. Um, 
Yes. It's one that he can relate to. It's like a story that he himself once knew, right? I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Um, but I should stop. It's getting late. Uh, and um, if anybody has any insights into a, Elrond's rambling, and I don't insist that it absolutely makes sense. If our only conclusion is that Elrond is in fact, like if Gandalf is at least inwardly face palming here and being like, thank you so much, Elrond, for, you know, just undermining that really dramatic moment I just brought us to. It's, it's maybe so. Like that is very possible. It could well be that Tolkien meant it to be funny uh, as we were discussing. Right uh, uh, before, I know several of you were talking about Tolkien kind of perhaps making a joke about faculty meetings uh, and really bad faculty meeting chairs. Um, I think that it's very possible, um, but uh, but I'd be a little surprised if there were no other explanation. I still think, for instance, that Elrond could be doing something badly, but I still think he's doing something. I can't... I have a hard time buying that Elrond is simply like, thanks, Gandalf, that sounds like an excellent cue for me just to, to like, maunder on about completely random things. Like, there's obviously nothing important for us to talk about, so I'm just going to give you my disconnected thoughts for a while. I have a really hard time thinking that that's what Elrond is setting out to do. Um, uh, that he ends up doing that, uh, you know, that he he ends up doing what he's trying to do unskillfully? Uh, maybe. I could kind of buy that. Um, but that he's not even thinking about what he's doing, I have a harder time buying. Um, uh, but anyway, okay. Let's... Um, um, but we should we should stop for now. Um, we will um, uh, we may come back and revisit this if people have other ideas. But we we also have more rambling to get to, so we should probably push forward as well. Anyway, um, thanks everybody for joining me. We're gonna uh, switch over to our field trip now. Uh, but thanks for everybody's contributions uh, tonight. That was really excellent. Hey everyone. Good evening, Valori. How are you? I'm doing just fine. It's good to be good to be here. But yeah, it is interesting to see whether this is a non sequitur, is this crafted or something like that. It's like all of a sudden he just went, you know, I'll give you a topic. Right, right. Whoa, so, so my game. My... The witch king of Angmar is neither a witch nor a king nor an Angmar. <laughs> it's it it's and, and, you know, right at this moment, you know, like right at this moment when Gandalf has just, you know, set yeah, I things up. I kind of wish I was in the movie, you know, it's like, where is the ring? And here is us and the music swells and the <laughs> lights come up and then Elrond, you know, squirrels. <laughs> yeah. You ever eat a pine tree? Many parts of the tree are edible. Right, right. It's, it's, uh, and I know some people were saying, where, you know, I, uh, Mad Violinist was saying perhaps we're not seeing the, the forest for the squirrels. I know he only talks about squirrels as a, uh, as a way to express how large the forest used to be. But that sentiment itself is a huge, 
you know, non sequitur as well. They're getting all so. folksy all of a sudden. Yeah, exactly. Um, a lass and a lack. <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking about squirrels. Yeah, exactly. But it almost sounded like he was geeking out. <laughs> right, like was, yeah. Like he was excited that they met Tom Bombadil. It's just like, you know, I went back and I couldn't. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, so we're headed to Blomgard, right? Uh, Blomgard. Blomgard. Back to Blomgard yeah. and then back to Ross Goebel to check out. We found um, uh, Radagast's house, but we can return to it and actually look at his dwelling, in fact. Okay, now and we're headed. You start, uh, you start filling up people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's really a fascinating uh, a fascinating moment. Um, uh, Of course, you know, the hobbits are, you know, the Bilbo and Frodo and possibly Sam outside are just sitting there going, lunch, 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 lunch. (laughs) Yeah. You know, not serving lunch, man. I really don't think it was a good idea, all things considered. Like, it's a pretty momentous decision to be making with everybody kind of, you know, their blood sugar tanking, you know. Yeah, and of course, the dwarves are sitting there going, who ever heard of a dry meeting? Right, right, yeah. How do you get things done? Yep. I think we're all set. Okay, we're ready? Uh, if I missed you, send me an IM. I will take care of that. Head where we're going. Okay, so let's see. Are we headed in the right direction? Uh, vaguely. Not. So how many roads out of town are there? Um, because hmm. there's... Is, it, is there anything off this direction? Can you get through? Does this go anywhere? Hey, it does. Oh. Look at that. I think it goes the same place as the other one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But this is the way, yeah, this is the way to the spider folks, right? So we wanted to bear north and mm-hmm. hit the... But Sorry, I, I kind of ran Let off there. Let me balance this thing here. Yeah, yeah, you're still doing the thing. There's too many hunters on one side, and that's always bad. Yeah. Okay, I'm standing by the gate. No, wait, no, that's... There we go. Okay, we ready? Yeah, I think so. All right. Okay, so I was just going to head out here and just abandon the road, which last time led us straight to the spooky spider place and now we're headed through spider things too but I think we'll get to the whoa cliff whoa cliff down into the water okay didn't see the cliff kind of dark but hit the lake anyway so that's what I was going for yeah this is advanced darkness Okay. And then, right, we're headed vaguely towards Ross Goble now. Yeah, the. Is it cloudy or something? It seems 
a little darker than usual. No, it's not cloudy. There's just no moon or something. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm all discombobulated. Where's my... Okay. Direction of my keyboard. head. I'm trying to remember where all my yeah. quick keys are. It doesn't okay. have a number pad, so I'm just going there. there what? Go. All right. Yeah. Now I see Ross Goble through the trees here. Mm-hmm. Or at least I briefly did before the trees drew themselves in. Oh, they got those kind of trees here, huh? Yeah. Must be making some progress. I see a lot of things want to kill you. Okay. So I'm still kind of surprised. I have to admit, I am surprised to find elvish ruins at Roscobel. Hmm. And I'm trying to analyze why I am surprised by that. And I don't think... I mean, it's not the influence of the film, because I definitely, when I saw how they did Roscobel in the film, mm-hmm. I was definitely like thinking that that was like kind of meeting my expectations of Ross Goebel, certainly not setting them. How do we get up there? Are we still still on the southern side? It's up on this cliff here on the left-hand side of us, right? Yep. Got to find the approach. There's so many flowers I can't even... Is this the approach? That's I think we're still headed in the general. Yeah, no, you gotta head more. You gotta head like almost due due west. Right, almost due west now. This turning into that hide and seek game in The Hobbit when the lights go out. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Up the hill. Okay. I had a little cul-de-sac. Okay, there's the walls. There we go. Okay. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, it does look like an elvish party house, as we were saying before. So, mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, which character are you on tonight, Phil? Are, are Linus. You, Linus? Okay. Yep. Yeah, so JJ, you should uh, send Linus an IM for... Linus two S's. Linus with two S's, that's it. Okay. So, um, okay, so why am I surprised? I'm not, I wouldn't go so far as to say disquieted, but I am surprised. I think that there are... The reasons I'm surprised, as I've been reflecting on this over the last two weeks... First, I did always imagine Radagast sounded like somebody who was living in isolation, right? Somebody who was just on his own. Yeah. Um, and so, now, of course, living on your own in a ruin, you're not any less alone, right? So it's not like it impinges upon his solitary state uh, to live in a ruin. And yet there's something a little bit less solitary about it, like you're rooting yourself in some other, you know, 
people's tradition essentially so you're you're not kind of standing on your own legs you know on your own ground if you see what i mean it's a bit court he doesn't strike me as a courtly fellow to hold court Master well, stuff. that's the another thing that's bothering me about it is that it's very fancy, right? It's very, you know, it's like you, you come through these huge stone arches and stuff, and that doesn't feel like nearly as rustic as I would have. Now, again, like the wild has reclaimed this hilltop, right? So it's not like, you know, in living here, it's not like he's not living in the wild. It's not like he's, you know, uh, it, it, it's not like he's got a downtown apartment or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yet, I can't shake a little bit of that feeling. You know, it feels like we're going and finding Radagast's home in the inner city. It's not exactly the inner city, but it almost feels like that, if you know what I mean. Um, that's, um, that's, one of the things that made me that makes me at least kind of subconsciously uncomfortable about it um also well, just yeah. like being on stone you know like flagstones like there's pavement around Radagast's house and that also doesn't feel quite as like you know in touch with nature as i've always imagined um his home now and again i don't want to s- imply that there's any kind of antipathy between this city and the wild, you know, the the land that surrounds it. This was an elvish construction. And so, you know, presumably it would have, you know, it's not like they would have just, you know, clear cut the surroundings uh, in order to uh, to build their city necessarily. I could imagine there being a certain degree of harmony between this city when it was in action and, you know, what had elves living in it um, and the wild place around it. But um, I anyway, it just seems to me um, those are just some of the things. And it just feels too civilized. Like maybe I was partly influenced by the fact that we first hear about Radagast at Bjorn's house. And so I've always kind of vaguely associated Radagast and Bjorn and therefore Mm -hmm. kind of expected. I think if there were, if there were an image that was lurking in my head behind, um, Ross Goebel behind Radagast's house, it probably is Bjorn's house. Yeah. Yeah. I got that for sure. Um, because that's where we first hear it. And here's his cottage. Mm-hmm. Now, like, if I were encountering this in the woods, right? Mm-hmm. It would still surprise me just a touch because it's, like, really big. Well, yeah, yeah. He's got lots of floors. It looks like he's extremely fond of guests. I would I really, do. really hope that we could go inside and find that, like, each one of those windows leads onto a guest room, which has like a bear living in it, and like he another has one. Wind chimes. I've never seen wind chimes here before. Oh, he does have wind chimes. Yeah. See, like part of that, part of a lot, like you know, half of me, you know, the argument that that this is a weird place for it, I get it, but also like he's an old hippie. What is more hippie-ish than moving into a broken down, deserted, bougie place 
and fixing it up as an animal sanctuary. Right, right. Yeah. A defensible, a defensible animal sanctuary that seems to be protected from a lot of things on all sides. Yeah, I can, I can, I can, I can see that. I can see that. I love the beehives, by the way. Uh, the really enormous beehives. I love how they're just like built into the house, you know, like the tree is part of the house and the beehives are part of the tree and part of the house. It's almost like, it almost, it almost looks like an in-law apartment for bees, you know, that was built onto the side of the house. I was going to say symbiosis, but that's a better one. (laughs) Well, it's, yeah. You know, he's constantly being stung and it just doesn't bother him. Right, right, yeah. Or he just, you know, has an agreement with the bees or something. Um, yeah, so there are a lot of things there that I like about it. The the windows surprise me a little bit. There's a lot of a lot of glass. Um, there is very little metal, not no metal. I agree. Even the wind chimes are wooden, as people were pointing out. Um, look, he's got two wood chimes. He's got purple and blue wood chimes, wind chimes. And there's wow. another set around the corner. There are all kinds of wind chimes here. He's into uh, wind chimes. This guy gets me. <laughs> can we get up to the upper floor can we get up okay. to the like try, widow's walk try. up there is that possible there's a little stairway over here yeah I agree JJ it is plain unpainted wood it seems to be unpainted and unstained of course it's all covered with the same moss as the um, uh, as as the villages were covered in right mm-hmm and of course, there's a lot of similarity. It's not identical by any means. This doesn't look and feel like a Rohiric house, in the same way that, um, uh, in the same way that the the other places do. You know, like Blomgard and others. Yeah, it's very much its own thing, which is yeah. fun to see. Yeah. Um. Yeah, wouldn't have, I love the look at the 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 ferns, random ferns growing in the window boxes. <laughs> in the shadiest places, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I see some creepers sort of eating parts of this house too. Mm-hmm. That's like the green briar we got out here. It's nasty stuff. They just get. Do we th- its own thing? Do we think he made the house? He built it. Probably. Probably. Um, I mean, I agree. You know, Matt is pointing out how it's like a wizard's tower, right? Except it's, you know, au natural wood, moss, fern, tree branch tower, but still very Mm -hmm. towerish. They're like the high places, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um,. Yeah. Want to clip those stairs? Yeah. Wait, is there a command I can point to to get rid of my pet again? I just got it for the journey, but... Uh, Side-click on the portrait and dismiss. Oh, yeah, no, I mean a, without right-clicking. Okay, um, um, yeah. Oh, my. Yeah, that's my problem. Okay, never mind. Um, uh, you can click on his little button on your dash. Can I? Dang. Let me try. No, can't. Nope. That's okay. I'll live with him. Um, d- didn't I find a way to get rid of him when, like, get rid of the cat when he was eating all the sheep, though? 
feeling that was like... weird. That was, is this a, is this a cosmetic pet or is no, this... No, it's a, not. Yeah, if it's... Uh, so this is uh, one that you summon? Yeah. Um, it's an us uncosmetic uh, pet. That's okay. Oh, I forget. I oh, well. played a lore master in um, Okay. So... You can summon up, the, you can summon up the cat instead, see if that works. Yeah, that's true. He would at least be less in the way. No, I can't because he's grayed out until I get rid of the other one. Oh, dear. That's fine. All right. Yeah, just keep running ahead of him, I guess. Yeah. Birdhouses. See, like the birdhouse. Oh, it looks like a lantern. It does look like a lantern. So it's sort of like a, uh, uh, sort of like a lamp post, except it's a bird post. Um... I guess I can see Radagast making a birdhouse. It's not that I can't see him living with birds, obviously. I don't object to that. Um, I would think that he would encourage nests instead of... But I guess, you know, making a place for them to build their nests would be okay. Well, I think because there are also predators that he takes care of by having designated places that are bird-only probably right, helps. Right, right. Little mini bird sanctuaries over there. So there's, there's no way up over here, is there? No. Mm, I don't know. Um, I think, uh, yeah, the stone steps are your best bet at this point. All right, let's let's see if we can at least see the upstairs. Oops. Okay, more. Oh, a little, little chest. Oh, well, that's disappointing. Short stop. Yeah. Can we get up on the roof? No, I can't get on the roof. seemed a strange like the top of the tower looks like you can see the railing and stuff up there like the, the sort of widow's walk part I was pointing mm -hmm. to Yeah, it looks strangely inviting like we should be able to get up there and really detailed like all of the different yeah. birds and animals up there yeah um taunts us with its it Massive renders. Does taunt us. Really does. Um, aha. Standing Stone is going to be doing uh, a talk with the world builder who probably built the structure tomorrow on oh, the cool. official channel. I'm really? going to ask him about this. Yeah, ask Good him idea. about this. Ask him if we can get up there. I mean, yeah, granted, neither, neither me nor Corey have the quest. So right. And if we can't get up there, ask him what's up there. <laughs> yeah. And what it's for. Because it looks like, so I'm seeing a bunch of birdhouses. And birds. And birds, yes. Um, including what looks like a two-seater birdhouse up there on the left-hand side, the brown Oh, yeah, one. they got a duplex. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. It's a little little, little bird apartment building. Yep, yep. Um, okay. And all those twisted branches seem to be making something in the middle. Intriguing. Oh, you mean up there on top yeah, of the Yeah, at the very yeah. top, you can see all these little branches sort of put together almost like a like tip of a round roof, like a, in the middle of a round roof or something. Right. Except there's no roof on it. Right. Right. Almost like a dome there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, so where, 
where Saruman has the place on top of his tower where he goes to watch the stars. Radagast has a place at the top of his tower where he goes to feed the birds. You can kind of see some stars, but mostly leaves. And I kind of like that. But of course, here's the other thing. This could also be quite practical. Um, because this could well be how Radagast keeps in touch with affairs, right? Mm. Um, as presumably he gets news from the birds. Uh, I see yeah. no reason to think he doesn't talk to the birds. Um, and so having a kind of station up top there where he can go and hang out with the birds and maybe, you know, some of those bird houses up there are meant to be, you know, little bird hostels for traveling birds uh, mm-hmm. coming through. Um, so, yeah. So that was, there would seem to be a function there for his little mm-hmm. bird station up on top. I, and, and I, see, I seem to keep coming back to highly defensible. All of the tree cover would mean that this place is mostly covered from mm-hmm. the air. Mm-hmm. Right. It would be hard to see from the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would. It would. Um, right. Lady Lakata says, this is where, this is the spot from which malicious rumors about Rohan's horses were spread. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, all that dirt on, uh, uh, you know, Rohan uh, paying a tribute of horses to Mordor being uh, disseminated right from here. Oh, man. Yep. Totally Gotta agree. Got to cheese my central up at the top. Yeah. All the gossip. Yeah. Um, oh, and thanks. F- folks found the text command. Slash pet oh. release. Slash pet release. Wow. Okay. Sla- slash pet space release. There we go. Put that on a post-it. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, no, that's good. So here's here's the other thing that I'm thinking about um, the tower-like nature of it, right? And therefore, it's definitely making me think of the parallel to Orthanc. But think about that parallel, right? Saruman has established the center of his power in a tower which is a Gondorian tower, right? You know, a tower which is... You know, he's basically established his home in the center of his power in the middle of an old structure which used to belong to somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Radagast is doing the same thing, except at least he's constructed his own edifice, right? This is clearly not part of the original um, uh, the original ruin. Yeah. Um, But um, uh, but nevertheless both of them have the center of their power rooted in um, older power, right? Whether it's old, the old Numenorean power of Gondor, in Saruman's case, or the old Elvish power of the party elves who lived here in Radagast's case. And that's interesting. And and the power of Mirkwood itself. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I think that that's a very interesting thing. Could that be part of why he did choose to be here? You know, is there something? I mean, I can't help but think thinking in a Mirkwood context um, of how Bilbo and the twelve dwarves find an old elf camp, 
right? Where elves, mm -hmm. you know, one of the places where the elves come and the spiders don't dare come there because it's familiar to the elves. You know, is there something about a ruin like this that would be, you know, similarly a sanctuary, you know, to, you know, against the, you know, the dark power of Mirkwood? Yeah, um, in, in my case, part, I, 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 I get your point with the power of the elves for sure, but I was also thinking of the power of the forest itself. We've seen it multiple mm -hmm. times in Tolkien's writing where the forest itself seems to be a powerful entity capable of moods and personalities and magic. Right, and though it itself was under attack and being corrupted um, by Dol Guldur, you know, by, by Sauron... Um, uh, but yeah, imagining him setting this up as a kind of sanctuary, as a kind of shelter, um, not just through his own power, but building on the elvish power um, from before. So I'm not saying that Radagast's building here was a bad idea. I'm just saying I wasn't expecting it. And you wonder it, if he tried the stone for a while and just immediately went, nope, nope, getting some wood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, hang on. I want to go around to the side because everyone's talking. There's a statue out back, and I, I can't. Let's see. Where do we? Where's the statue? See it up here? I, I don't think this is out back. No, you're in the right place. Uh, uh -huh. Look where I'm looking. Okay. Above the roof, between the tree and the tower. Tree and. Oh, yep, yep. I see a little face. I don't. I see a tower. I don't see the. Between you can stand where I'm standing. Stand between, yeah, stand between me and. Oh wait. Yeah. Okay, hang on. I'm, I'm over here. Is that a is that a head? Oh, hang on. Okay, I see. I see the head. I see the head. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't able to see it from that angle. So, so he just built right in front of that thing. I think it's an elf made. Yeah, I agree. Druid's fire, you say you think you think we've seen this statue in Felagoth? Well, I have seen it in Felagoth, yes. Yeah. Okay. Right, we haven't explored Felagoth yet here. But we'll get there. We'll get there. We're coming. But that itself is interesting, by the way as it would suggest a connection, which I was not necessarily assuming, between the elves who made the, this party house and the elves of Mirkwood. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely think we're going to have to explore Mirkwood to get more of a handle on elf presence there. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, we already saw what looked like a you know related but distinct elvish connection between the Loth, you know the Galothrim and the party, the ruins of the party house that's built right on the doorstep of Lorien there. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, it's definitely something for us to be looking at as we're going through Mirkwood here. Um, yes, there's definitely connection to stuff in Mirkwood. Lots mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll have to see what we can trace. Of the evidence of Elv of Mirkwood Elvish history here, um, okay, all right, awesome. So uh, I'll let you guys go. It's getting late now here tonight. Yeah, 
I, I appreciate the attempts to get up. People are still trying to see if there's a there's a way. Nah, Standing Stone hates us getting on roofs. Remember, we can't even jump on the roofs of any of the, like, lean-tos in Rohan? Right, yeah. which, which just end a foot above the ground. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Plus, if you get stuck, you could, like, lose your character forever, so. Oh, yeah, that's no good. We'll see if I can ask about that, too. Yeah. Though they think tomorrow is about the new Wildwood area that's being parked between Trestle Bridge and Evendom. Uh, it'll be a level cool. 45 to 50 zone with wandering elite mobs. Just oh, because. so that you can go straight through from... So we can go straight north up the river now, up the Brandywine? Uh, All no, the way through? You, um, not as such. Is You go to a place called Trader's Wharf. Uh, there are new uh, dock masters that connect to the ones in Evendim. Docks, uh, but docks where? This is at the lake? Yes. Okay, Ooh. okay. New docks at the lake. Interesting. Yeah, if you pull up your Evendim map, uh, you should see you might need to click on filter map notes and select dock masters and little boats will appear. Uh, and you'll see where some of them are. And the one in the lower right hand corner near Bullroar Sword is the entrance to the Wildwood. And the Arid Lewin, um, the Shire, and. Um, Breland maps will look like the satellite maps like you have if you zoom out to yeah it looks really cool they're gonna do map upgrades yes to those three map areas arid lewin uh the shire and uh breland well that's gonna be fun because we spent awesome. so much time with the arid lewin map I, I really i'm looking forward to seeing that. i love the new maps i just i just lotro maps are a favorite of mine anyway mm -hmm. um uh, no ETA as to when it's going to go live. It was on Bull Roar last week, so they might do another Bull Roar preview next week. There will be a patch tomorrow morning, though. Yeah. So maybe they'll put some of it in there. Cool. Cool. Exciting. Can't wait. Awesome. All right. Well, so next time, looking back at the local map here, um, we'll continue up towards what is labeled as Woods Edge uh, and Holdvis, I think... Well, no, let's start at Blumgard and come up through Ross Goble, past Ross Goble and head up there. Let's just continue the loop, and then we'll, we'll loop back around to Holtvis, and then we can we can start from there again. Um, Sounds good. Okay, cool. All right, excellent. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining us, and uh, I would look forward to... Should be back again next week, as far as I know. I get sometimes weird things happen, like last week when I... Uh, had to cancel at the last second because I had a family change. Had a had to go on a trip with my son, so I wasn't able to be around. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, I will. Uh, uh, we we will hope to see you guys again next week. So thanks everybody for watching, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye now. <laughs>